Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Well, good to see everyone. Good to see everyone uh, online with us. Hello. Uh, if you're coming out for trunk or treat later or not, um, you know, virtual candy is better for your health. So, you know, however you, you're doing, doing that. It's good to be together. Um, well, guys, have you ever gotten really great advice that was really not realistic? A good solution that was just not doable or like attainable for you? Has that ever happened? This is great advice. I just can't, can't quite do it. Um, back when I was running a little bit more and, you know, I had dreams of running a half marathon, I got some advice on how to make more time in my schedule to run. Because, you know, I got kids and work. And, and they said, just get up at 4 a.m., go running then, and you can be back and ready to go before your kids are even up. I said, that's a great solution. I'm not going to do it. Now, much advice, you know, is good advice if we're just motivated for it, like flossing every day. You know, I can afford the floss. I can afford the 30 seconds. I'm just not. It's, right? It's good advice, and it's easily doable. But from things like going vegetarian or, or traveling. Sometimes we get great solutions that is just not doable for our life. Um, it, we're in the book of Romans, and Paul has one solution for a very diverse congregation to a church that's Jewish and Gentile, rich and poor. He gives one solution. He says, focus on Jesus because it's so doable. You do not have to be more educated, more religious. You do not even have to be more spiritual or less sinful at the beginning. The way of Jesus is open to everyone, to all. And what we're told, it's really like exclusive on Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the solution. But it is inclusive to everyone. This is a way that is available and open to absolutely everyone is doable and attainable. Um, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter to the early church at Rome, probably about the year 57 or so. Um, it was a mixed congregation. You had really religious, observant Jews. You had pagans, rich and poor. The letter was probably first read in uh, these apartment buildings called the Insula. Um, the congregation also had members um, over in more like a richer like villa, but this is probably read for the first time in these apartment buildings. Um, the letter was delivered through Phoebe and Paul um, kind of appointed this apostle Phoebe as the first uh, preacher of the book of Romans, the first one to read and deliver the book of Romans. So we're going to start at the beginning, chapter 1 today, and read it together as Phoebe would all those years before. So let's pray together as we turn to the word of the Lord. Jesus, this morning we are so grateful that you speak to us. Thank you that you have things to communicate with your children today. We stand and we claim that, that we are your children that we're your kids, that you care for us, and you care for us enough to speak to us, to lead us and to guide us. Thank you for the gift of your word. 
Would your word order and direct our lives and our hearts? Would your word, most of all, lead us to you, to knowing you, to worshiping you? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 1. This is a letter, so it starts out, Paul is uh, writing here, and he says, I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. That's who I am. The gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in his holy scriptures. We've been anticipating this thing for a long time, guys, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to faith and obedience for his name's sake. And you who are among those Gentiles who are also called to Christ Jesus. So I'm writing this to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. He really likes these guys. He's never actually met them before. He longs to see them. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in it, the, sorry, for in it, the gospel of righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. To a young, like diverse church, Paul is just celebrates their faith. He said, I, I see your faith. I've heard of your faith. I am so happy about your faith. Hearing about their faith just brings him great joy, and he is so happy to be part of the family of faith with them. God does not have two families. He has one family, it is united on Jesus. Jesus is the head of the table, centered as the family of God's siblings come together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he's just so happy that in faith they are family together. And as he talks about their faith, 
And as he's so happy to be part of the family of faith together, I think this does, he lays out a couple of things that are instructive to us about how we kind of like think about our faith. So many of us, we think about our faith. Um, if you want to pull up that first graphic, Stephen, we think about our faith as like, God created the world good, and then people sinned, and then he's, you know, with the work with Israel, uh, building a community of faith and the cross, you know, God's doing his good thing. And if we do the right thing or believe the right thing, we will go to heaven. Um, There's also sin and evil and rebellion, and that leads to hell. And so I'm here in the middle, and I must choose which way. Do I believe and do the right things, or do I believe and do the wrong things? Um... There are a couple of problems with this way of thinking of things. Um, number one, it sees heaven and hell as like equals, um, but that way sees me as like the linchpin in the, this story. I think a better way to think about it is this second way. God has made the world good, and where there is sin, he is r- restoring it through the people of Israel, through, through the cross. He is working to get hell out of earth, And he's completed this mission of restoring and recreating all things in his death and resurrection, in what he himself personally has done in the cross. You and me, together, it's not a solo effort, come together under the lordship, under the work of Jesus. And we join with God in what he is doing to restore and recreate all of earth. We partner with God under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, the gospel, it's about Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done, not about me. Um, Some of you may know that I am a twin. My husband calls it a cheap party trick. So I may have mentioned it before. Um, My sister lives in Chicago, four kids, her husband, Her husband has only confused myself and my sister on one occasion. The night on which he was going to propose, uh, my my sister was in campus ministry, and so she had her students. He was also in campus ministry, and they were throwing a big, fancy party. Uh, This was the perfect time to have everyone together who they really had been investing in and caring in, and they were all dressed up. So I had smuggled him back into town. I met him at the uh, mega bus stop in Cleveland, driven him back to town secretly, and he was hiding in a back room waiting for the perfect time to make his appearance and drop to one knee. But it was kind of a long wait, so I thought, you know, it's a big night for the dude. I should go and check on him, make sure he's okay. So I go to this back room, like, James? He takes one look at me, and he bolts. He ran through the back door. We had to go and find him, like, outside in the cold. He ran. Like, come back, come back. It's not her. It's just Sarah. Thankfully, he got us mixed up, you know, at that point in time and not half an hour later. Everything changes based on who's at the center of the story, right? Everything changes based on who's at the center of the story. Who here knows life is better when it's not about us? Thank you, two of you. Life is better when it's not about us. Sometimes my husband and I will be having a little like grown-up conversation, and uh, one of the kids will come into the room and be like, what? 
What did you say? Relax, relax. I'm the one who has to clean the garage on Saturday, not you. We weren't talking about you. Life is better when it's not about us. Uh, Who here has heard the difference um, between a cat and a dog? A dog, you go, you get some food, feed the dog. The dog says, wow. They make food and give it to me. They must be God. You feed your cat. The cat says, wow. They toil for food, offer some of it up to me. I must be God. You know, we, I would say we want the dog perspective, not the cat perspective. Both are theologically incorrect, um, and I love both animals. But decentering ourselves makes us happier. It is nicer for us when we are not at the center of the story. It's not about me. It's not about how I have messed up. It is about God, how God restores everything. It is not about, you know, even with the good things I ha- have done that leaves such a burden on me to, to produce the, the, all the goodness. It is not about our differences. It's about agreeing on Jesus. It's not about me. We can relax and enjoy because it's not all about us. Verses 16 through 17 really lay out the theological basis that are, through the rest of the letter is, is um, teased out as to how we live this out. So we're going to really dig into verses 16 and 17 as the theological basis of the book. He starts out, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The word gospel is the same word that people used to talk about about Caesar. It's the, uh, the gospel of Caesar, the good news of what the Roman Empire has done. They come into a new town. They're like trumpet blasted. Here's the, the gospel of Caesar. Um, so by calling this gospel, he is saying that this is a counterclaim to the power of the state. He's saying like trumpet blasted. This is the good news of Jesus. It's a clearly counter-imperial statement. There's a greater Lord there's a bigger boss than the Roman Empire. Really? Like the Pax Romana was just a historically unprecedented consolidation of power under one empire. There had never been anything like it before. Alexander the Great had tried. Caesar had done it. Caesar was Lord. But not only was here, Paul trying to tell them that there's a bigger power than the Roman Empire. Paul also spent a lot of time telling Romans and Greeks that there was not many gods, there was just one God. I heard this like satirical, um, this like guy dressed up in a toga, um, Roman guy saying, have you heard about this new religion called the Christians? They are so poor. How poor are they? They are so poor, they only have one God, Ha, ha, ha. Um, But if monotheism wasn't bad enough, you know, maybe you can have one God. At least he should be, like, really impressive. They had one God, and their one God was a Jewish carpenter rabbi who was executed. The humiliating, painful death that wasn't even allowed for Roman citizens. Oh, no, we could never do that to a Roman citizen. This was their God. The crucified carpenter rabbi was supposed to rival the power of the Roman Empire. 
but it's been true. The Roman Empire is now a thing of the past. The church has been the most influential institution of the last 2,000 years. The gospel of Jesus has transformed societies and individuals. There are Christians in every country of the world. I am not ashamed of the gospel. We are not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is a story about Jesus. Paul here talks about the gospel and like, Paul knows what he's talking about when he talks about the gospel. He's a good, good source. He says that the gospel is Jesus died, Jesus buried, Jesus raised, Jesus ascended. It is all about Jesus and what he has done. Um, Paul says elsewhere in 2 Timothy 2, 8, uh, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. And it's the power for salvation. The truth of what God has done affects us. There are many things, amazing things that people do that do not affect me. The Boston Marathon winner was like two hours and nine minutes. It's amazing. It has zero effect on my life. What God has done is amazing, and it affects my life. What Jesus has done in defeating sin and death, injustice, frees me and saves me. I'm no longer controlled by that. I have life beyond death. I am brought with Jesus into this new way of life. I am saved by what Jesus has done. And then he goes on, uh, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This is worked out in history, in Israel, with the, the salvation story, bringing the people out of slavery into freedom, uh, in the Exodus story, uh, out of captivity into a new land, the promised land of, of Israel, working out being a community of faith, the uh, spirit-inspired prophets leading and speaking and, and guiding, ultimately in the person, the historical person, the Jewish person of Jesus, God works with you and me. God works in history. God works in people. We see this through the Jews into the, the, now the Gentiles. And it shows us the righteousness of God. It's about what God does, not me. And it shows us who God is, what, what he looks like. Jesus is God, God in humanity. He's tender and kind. He's wise and powerful. He's totally powerful and totally good. Jesus shows us who God is. He's the perfect revelation of God. And it's to everyone who has faith. We see three uh, faith phrases here. From faith, you know, out of faith to faith, from faith first and last, the righteous will live by faith. Quoting Habakkuk 2, 4, I love when the Bible quotes itself. Um, this phrase means like um, from faith, out of faith to faith, uh, means like a thoroughly faithful, beginning and ending in faith. God's total rightness, uh, justice, goodness is shown in the faithfulness of Jesus. Um, and Luke Timothy Johnson says, um, the theologian says, it's this faithfulness of Jesus that produces faith in us. It's Jesus' faithfulness to restore creation. It's Jesus' faithfulness to us 
that leads to our faith. His free gift initiates faith in us to follow Christ as Lord. The righteous will live by faith. And friends, I know what it's like to live life with faith in many other things, with faith in me. Faith in me is stressful. I mean, I'm all about a can-do attitude, a growth mentality, but faith in me, whew, it is stressful. And then I get defensive because, well, if it's about me and I have to have faith in myself, well, then you back off when I do something wrong. It is stressful and anxiety-producing. But in the kingdom of God, we are receivers, not achievers. And I know what it's like to have faith in Jesus, to be able to trust him, to be able to have confidence in who he is and what he does, to have pride and love for him at the center, not my own efforts at the center to accept my own weaknesses because I'm confident in who he is and what he can do. It is good to live a life trusting in Jesus. The righteous shall live by faith, and it is such a nicer way to live. So we're united under the gospel of Jesus. We receive it by faith when we lived together as, you know, different people, they were very different people, you know, religious Jews, pagan Gentiles, rich and poor here. We're united because we are receivers, not achievers. We are not at the center of the story. Jesus is at the center of the story. You know, we're going through, we're trying to go through the whole book of Romans uh, in this series, and there's a lot to get through. Um, so as we look, we're just going to look super quickly at the rest of chapters 1 and, and to another 30 verses, so it's longer. Um, but in the rest of Romans 1, 1 and 2, um, we can't quite get to all of it. What Paul does is he picks a stereotypically Gentile sin and a stereotypically Jewish sin. So some of the things people always say, they do that, they do that. And he basically says you can be united under faith or you can be divided by sin. So walking through this real quick, the first section, he picks the stereotypically Gentile sin, verses uh, 18 through 32. And um, he says, you know, so, some of you, you know, instead of really following the, the truth of, of, from God about just how to live a good life in harmony, in unity with others, kind of rejected sort of some of the obvious natural ways to live together well that are clear across cultures, across religions, across no religions, um, about love and respect. Um, and this has led to sexual sin, exchanging love for, for lust, not living into the fullness of God's blessing. He says there's no excuse. This separates you from God, uh, create like a feeling of God's anger. And it really echoes back to, um, there are a couple of phrases that really echo it back to the creation story, to what God really wants for us. Making men and women different. Men and women aren't different, um, but together, in the image of God, not just men has the image of God, not just women has the image of God. Together, we have the image of God. And God's intent for sexuality is that men and women different 
different together in a committed uh, relationship. The church has always been clear about commitment being the best place for living out loving, committed relationships um, together. We live into the deepest places of humanness and of love as we love one another well, um, uniting differences in love. And he says, this is good, it's God's plan, and you have no excuse when you trade love for lust like that. You also have no excuse, moving on to chapter 2, you also have no excuse when you judge other people. He picks what is most likely, most likely stereotypically in that context, the Jewish religious sin, maybe the, the stereotypical uh, religious sin of some of us religious folks also. Um, he says, you have no excuse when you judge other people. Um, two verses real quick. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet you do the same things, because hypocrisy and judgment always go together. We can't quite get our side of things perfect. Um, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Do you show contempt for his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your stubbornness on repentance, you are storing up God's wrath against you. So, Let's take a real quick poll. Is it, is it better to, uh, to sleep around or to be judgmental? <laughs> well, I did one of those things last week. Um, parents, would you rather have your children be sexually promiscuous or religious hypocrites? Paul uses the same language about both. He says there's absolutely no excuse and you are storing up God's anger against you for both of these things. Looking at the sins that one side thought the other side did, he says, sin will divide you. Faith will unite you. This is really, it's radically inclusive of people. He's saying it is all about Jesus. It is all about what Jesus has done, what Jesus can do, what Jesus will do. And everyone is who is willing may come to the table. We are brothers and sisters together here, united on Jesus. Jesus is the one thing that we are extremely exclusive on. We are inclusive to all people. Come, come as you are. The righteous will live by faith. Not their own moral virtue. Not their past mistakes. The righteous will live by faith. Theologian Marisol Wolf says, Faith is how we receive and properly interact with God. Faith is not begging, it's receiving, and it's the height of human dignity. We get to experience God when we, when we interact with faith. We get to see God as he is. The eyes, this is what the Bible means when it talks about the eyes of faith. We get to see Jesus, and when we see Jesus, we see goodness and love and grace and truth. God is not an unnamed something in the edges uh, of the galaxy. God is Jesus Christ. We do not have to wonder how he feels about us. He loves us totally and completely. We do not have to worry where following him will lead. We know that it leads us in the path of resurrection and reconciliation between us 
and with other people. Let's stand together. We're going to move into a time of worship as the worship team wants to come on back up. The righteous will live by faith because it's how we see and receive Jesus. Jesus has the power to transform us individually and together. Jesus has the power to lead us. We could never go ourselves. We want to live by faith this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, today we do say that we just, we put all our trust in you. We put all our stock in you. It is about what you have done for us. You have accomplished for us the impossible already. You have freed us from the power of sin and death. You have brought us to yourself and reconciled us to each other. If our God is for us, who can be against us? Thank you, Jesus. You did not spare even your, you did not withhold even your own life, but gladly gave yourself up for us. You will also give us every other good thing. We rejoice in you. We are thankful for what you have done. And we take a step back. And we say it is all about you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Glory. 